Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs from Madison, Wisconsin. Today we're lucky enough to have Ryan Callback with us. Ryan is the founder and CEO of CircleUp, which is a fundraising platform for food and consumer-focused companies. They've helped fund over 150 companies, which is a lot of companies, and they have a pretty amazing list of companies they've helped fund. Uh, you should go through the list, it actually makes you pretty hungry. You see some nut butters, ice cream, tea, uh, it's definitely... Uh, interesting list to check out. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to Ryan about Circle Up and what he's seen. You know, why do some companies get funded and others don't? Um, how what's his background and how he got things up and running? So uh, Ryan, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. And I think Ryan is in the car, which is pretty cool. So if uh, hopefully he doesn't uh, kill himself while answering amazing questions. <laughs> All right, with his answers. <laughs> um, so maybe let's start off with uh, your background, Ryan. Can you just give a brief overview on your background and then, um, yeah, when you started Circle Up? Sure. Well, first of all, my parents met in uh, in Wisconsin. Oh, no uh, my mother grew up. Yeah, my, my, my dad went to Milwaukee and uh, my mom went to the University of Wisconsin uh, at Milwaukee and they met at a dance. Okay. Um, so uh, my, mom, my mom grew up in, in Madison. Um, Oh, nice. Okay. Why? Well, uh, so we we started Circle Up about four years ago. Before that, I was in consumer focused private equity out here in San Francisco, working for two mid market mid market consumer products firms. Uh, one was TSG Consumer Partners, and the other one was Encore Consumer Capital. So both focused exclusively on consumer and retail, but typically invested only into companies above ten million dollars revenue. And what I noticed over the course of my career is that there was a tremendous amount of capital for consumer-focused private equity firms. In fact, consumer and retail private equity is about $62 billion in assets under management. It's greater than the entire size of the VC industry. Huh, interesting. But almost all of that $62 billion is focused on companies with above $10 million in revenue. And that never really made sense to me. Um, and so in 2011, it just be, it continuously got to be more and more frustrating to me. Because each week I would get great companies that I loved that were coming to us that were just too small. It's very hard for, let's say, a $200 million private equity firm to write a $1 million check when that one company is halfway across the country. So... We did a lot of work on it, and I, I dug in and, and learned that the returns to investors, to early-stage consumer and retail investors, are actually extraordinary. On average, they're about three and a half times your money in four and a half years, according to the Kauffman Foundation. And the volatility of the performance of the company is about half the volatility of tech. So it's a less volatile industry with higher average returns. In addition, the performance of the companies in early-stage consumer and retail is not correlated with the overall economy. So all of those things just left me scratching my head and, and not understanding why investors weren't focused on that space. And as I dug in more, I realized it's because the market to invest in the early-stage consumer is just very inefficient. 
you know, in the tech space, and I know you've covered um, a fair amount of tech, in the tech space, most, not all, but most of the companies are in one of two cities in the country, San Francisco and New York. It, it represents about 85% of the capital deployed in one of those two cities. And because that's true, there's also a lot of infrastructure for investors to find the companies. So there's incubators like Y Combinator. There's angel groups. There's blogs like TechCrunch and VentureBeat. There's an ecosystem to hear about the same great companies over and over again very efficiently. But none of that infrastructure exists in early-stage consumer and retail. The companies are just as likely to be in Madison as they are in Texas, New York, my home state of Vermont, or California. And there aren't any blogs or there are very few uh, incubators that help you find these companies. And so because that infrastructure doesn't exist, it's much, much harder for investors to efficiently put money to work. So that creates a big problem for early-stage consumer retail entrepreneurs, and that's the problem that we're trying to solve. We're trying to make it easier for them to thrive by getting them the capital and resources that they need. And, and you've done a, quite a good job of that. How, how did you get going? Like what, uh, you know, what did the platform initially look like, and what was your first company that you helped fund, and how did you find investors? I know it's a lot of questions, but uh, just curious because it's hard starting these platforms. And uh, just curious how you got going. It is. A marketplace is one of the harder businesses to build because there's two sides. There's essentially two customer groups, often with opposing uh, goals. So in our case, companies always want higher valuations. Investors would always want Right. So this is a marketplace. Um, We don't think of ourselves as a, as a crowdfunding site, we tend to not think that that's an appropriate term. Um, we are an investing marketplace. And uh, at Circle Up, what was tricky for us is that it wasn't just a marketplace with two sides. It was also a heavily regulated space. And we took the approach very early on that the way to win was to uh, deal with the regulations head on and to be compliant from minute one. So we took the time to become a registered broker-dealer with FINRA, which is a very long and difficult process, to be candid. And since the Jobs Act in 2012, I believe we're still the only platform that has been able to get approved since then. Before us, there was one or two. There was one or two that got approved in the kind of 2009 or so. But, uh, you know, it's it's a very long and difficult process to go through it. And a lot of the other platforms that you know, we just don't think we need to follow those regulations. We're going to try and get around this different way. Um, so for us, in the early days, uh, it was difficult, for sure. Uh, the first company that we worked with was a company, 18 Rabbits, a granola company here in San Francisco, uh, that since then has done very, very well. Um, but, you know, when we first launched, we had three companies on the site. Today, we have about 250. Wow. Um, and it was hard convincing companies to come and, and talking to investors about the value that we added. Um, but, you know, we were able to get through those first six, 12 months and, and 
since then, things have been terrific. And, and what type of investors were initially on the, the platform versus now? Are they the same, same type of investor profile, or has that changed over time? Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually changed a bit. So when we first started, it was almost all individual investors. So first of all, we only work with accredited investors by law. Um, but accredited investors, meaning someone makes more than $200,000 a year uh, income or has more than a million dollars in assets, excluding their home. So for us, uh, when we first started, it was all accredited investors. Gotcha. The average check, the average individual investment in 2012 was about $12,000. That huh. number has essentially doubled every year since 2012. Um, and so in 2015, it was over $100,000 average individual investment. And that's reflective of a few things, one of which is the investor profiles have changed meaningfully, to your question. So today, more than half the capital comes from institutional investors. Okay. Okay. It's also reflective of the deals. You know, Circle Up has network effects, meaning as you add more participants to the market, the marketplace has more value for all participants. And we see that in that in a number of different ways. But one of the ways we see that is that the companies that join Circle Up are larger, growing faster, and have higher margins basically each year. Um, and it's in part because of those network effects. Because are you seeing so are the, are the companies, do you have many companies that have pre-revenue on there or most of them? Sounds like they might, a lot of them are already launched and might have revenue by now. Yeah, the, yeah, the average company has more than a million dollars in revenue, but there are companies below that. So typically when a company has less than $500,000 in revenue, we require that the entrepreneur has prior relevant experience. So if it's a, a CEO that just spent uh, his entire career, let's say, working in Twitter, that's a lot less relevant for us to start a pet food company than <laughs> someone who spent and than a woman who spent her career at Sprina or Dogswell. So you guys act, actively uh, screen companies. Do you, do you have like a kind of a process companies go through before they're brought onto the platform? We do, yeah, and we actually just announced that publicly. We've been doing it for for a while, kind of, we, but we announced how we do it. Um, so we accept less than 5% of the companies that apply. We're mm. more selective than Harvard. <laughs> but That's right. I saw to that. Do yeah. that <laughs> to, do, to do that, we actually uh, have built a series of algorithms. Um, we call it the classifier. Um, and these machine learning algorithms evaluate companies using a tremendous amount of data before they can get accepted by Circle Up. So one of the beautiful things about consumer and retail is that there's so much data on these companies. You can see where the where the brand is being sold, how that distribution has changed. You can see what the price points of the product are. You can see what their reviews are online. You can see what people are talking about on social. You can check out the team on LinkedIn, et cetera. And so because there's so much data and because the business models, by and large, are fairly similar, it's, it's kind of basic unit economics of number of products times number of stores times price point times velocity. We're able to build, we were able to build an algorithm hmm. that evaluates these companies. And so one of the data sets that it uses is the 
10,000 plus companies that have applied to Circle Up over the past four years. So when a food company applies, as an example, we compare it against the thousands of other food companies that have applied, and we actually get down to a subcategory level. But in addition to that, we pull things like retail-level sales. We have a partnership with Nielsen, where they built us an API, and we can pull in retail-level sales. And we pull, we look at data on the industry, the team, as I mentioned, the brand, the product, distribution, et cetera. If you Google Circle Up Classifier, you'll see some information on our site about this algorithm. And the algorithm uses about 92,000 data points to evaluate a company in less than 30 seconds. And the, as you could imagine, that this data, this data has network effects to it, just as Circle Up has network effects from our, our marketplace. So when we first started and a yogurt company would apply to Circle Up, we were okay at evaluating yogurt companies. We had a team of private equity professionals that were doing it. But now when a yogurt company applies, and it's first screened by the classifier that has also evaluated hundreds of other yogurt companies. There's no one in the country that's better at evaluating yogurt companies or, candidly, any early-stage consumer and retail company than we are because we have so much data on it. Now, there's still a team of private equity professionals, 12 folks that have spent their career doing this. But beyond that is this algorithm that just, not just much more efficiently, but much more effectively evaluate these companies than humans ever could. Well, that's that's brilliant. I have, that's that's so valuable what you created. That's that was that was smart. And are, have you seen? Are there certain data points that are especially weighted heavily that you see with companies that come on? You know, is it uh, a certain revenue number? Is it the team or the experience or uh, the margins that re- help define? whether a company might be successful or not? Have you guys, maybe that's private. Yeah. So, but... <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are, there are data points like that, but it also just depends on what you mean by success. So success could mean getting onto the platform. It could mean closing money successfully on the platform, on the marketplace, or most importantly, we think it could mean being successful after a company raises. Yeah. So we track, one of the great things about consumer is we can track performance regardless of whether or not the company is on our platform. And that's what we do. So we look at companies after we have accepted or rejected them Hmm. and then look at, okay, what are the false positives and false negatives? What are companies that we accepted that we shouldn't have or companies we've rejected that we shouldn't have? And we learn from that, right? And we learn non-obvious traits. So, uh, Without getting into too much detail about what what are successful predictors, I think that the basic answer is it's not it's not really the way humans think about it. Of okay, if it's above a million dollars in revenue, it's more successful, or if it's a beverage company, it's higher risk. It's a combination of a lot of factors. So it turns out that when it's a beverage company below a million dollars in revenue, it's extraordinarily risky. When it's a beverage company above a couple million dollars in revenue, it's a much more interesting proposition. Huh. Right? And so there's it's a combination of variables. Interesting. Yeah, and I uh, I started a beverage company and it never reached a million dollars and it failed. So I think your your algorithms yeah. is right on. <laughs> that was a while back, but yes, okay, interesting. Well, that, yeah. and and so that kind of leads into. 
Um, you, that was the energy cola business, right? That was the energy cola business. It's a. Uh, yeah. I, I like the brand name, but uh, the that's another whole podcast we could have. So <laughs> of all the mistakes made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, live and learn. Um, so that kind of leads into a little bit the your the circle up uh, uh, marketplace, the index fund that you created, which is interesting. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So we found that in, there are investors that love investing in individual deals. And there are also investors who just want to invest in the baskets of companies. And diversification is critical, whether it's in a uh, asset class like private investing or public investing. Right? And, and that's one of the reasons why ETFs and mutual funds have taken off so much over the last 20 and 30 years is investors want to be able to access the public markets, but don't really want to pick individual deals. It's it's very time-consuming to do that. And so we've created baskets of companies. And one of them is what we call the Marketplace Index Fund, the MIX Fund. The MIX Fund is a vehicle that invests into all the companies that launch on CircleUp over a period of time. So it might be 25 companies, 30 companies uh, that launch after the mix fund closes. And the goal, again, is to get diversification. So we look at the average performance of the companies that have launched on CircleUp, and we get excited to share that performance with investors, whether they're investing in individual companies or the entire basket in a given time period. And so if you look at the performance of the companies over the last four years, the average unrealized IRR is above 40%. Hmm. Right? And that 40% for companies that have launched from 2013 onward is well above the average venture fund. And in fact, well above the top tier venture funds, the average top tier. In addition to that, the average company on Circle Off has grown revenue at over 80% per year since raising on CircleUp. And so a lot of investors look at those data points and say, you know what, I don't need to pick and choose companies to try and beat that performance. Give me that performance or anything like it, and I'll be happy. And so we created this mix fund, Marketplace Index Fund, to do that. So do you have investors, uh, are there any like large uh, consumer-focused companies who invest, or is it mainly private in, uh, institutions, um, or in, yeah, more in, in, uh, institutional investors that are investing. Yeah, there are. Okay. Um, so we have a we have a partnership with uh, a number of Fortune 500 companies. The partnerships have different purposes. Um, so we have partnerships with Procter and Gamble, Justin Johnson, eBay, Amazon. But one of the partnerships is with General Mills. Um, General Mills has committed to investing through our platform. Uh, into the companies on Circle Up, and not not as part of the mix fund, but directly in the companies that that they find particularly interesting through their small foods group, 301 Inc. And uh, 301 Inc. made their first investment into a company, uh, I think, two months ago or so, called Rhythm Superfoods. They made their second investment this week uh, into another company, a company called Tio Gaspacho, um, and. Uh, you know, it's a good reflection of the quality of the companies that are on Circle Up. And they're not alone. We see a lot of large consumer and retail strategics very interested in what we're doing. Um, and a lot of consumer private equity firms 
looking and actively investing into the companies on CircleUp. If you go to that landing page on CircleUp, that talks about the classifier, we list some of the private equity firms that have invested into companies on CircleUp. Um, and, and the list is, is pretty astounding. Yeah, but that's, that has been a reflection of the quality of the entrepreneurs we've been fortunate to work with. Yeah, you guys have created quite a network. Um, so two quick questions at the end here before we wrap it up. Uh, one is on uh, any uh, interesting lessons learned that you can think of. And then two, where do you want to take the, the Circle Up platform over the next you know three years? Sure. Yeah, lots of lessons learned. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think everyone, I, any entrepreneur says they have not made a lot of mistakes and a lot more mistakes than they've done things right, I think is, is fooling themselves or trying to fool you. So uh, we've made oh, a ton of mistakes. I mean, I think, you know, um, if I had to do it over again, um, I think we would have, when we first started, we placed a lot of emphasis trying to pull in investors first. And in retrospect, investors come to where there is great companies. Hmm. And um, while the pain for companies to raise capital is enormous, uh, if we don't get our name out and try to talk to them and try and pull them onto the site, uh, you know, it's going to be much harder to get them. So I think if I had to do it over again, I would have spent placed more emphasis on that side of the marketplace. Um, and we've been doing that now for, for two years or so, but okay. longer than we should have to do that. Um, probably the most important lesson um, that we learned early on is just the importance of culture um, at, at Circle Up and the importance of making sure everyone knows what our mission is. Every employee can recite, and we often uh, have someone do this at a Friday, Friday lunch with the whole team, can recite what our mission is. Um, and that was not true in the first year or so. Um, people have a general idea, but when folks have general ideas about something, that tends to lead to different outcomes. Because when you have 10 people and each of them has a, have a rough idea, that accomplish a rough, hazy goal. Yeah. And so we've really crystallized that. So our mission, as I mentioned before, is to help entrepreneurs to thrive by giving them the resources, the capital resources that they need. And um, that was important for us to really crystallize. Um, and I wish that we had, had done that earlier and, and kind of put a stake in the ground from day one. That makes sense. Okay, that's helpful. Um, and I know we're pretty much out of time. Uh, any thoughts on where you want to take the platform? I mean, you have so much going on. Maybe you just want to keep growing what you're doing? Or is there anything... Uh... You know, we see, yeah, we see an incredible opportunity within consumer and retail, um, private investing at the early stage. That, that's, yeah, there are yeah. 1.4 million consumer and retail companies in the U.S. with less than $10 million in revenue. 1.4 wow. million. <laughs> you know, given the average company on Circle Up raises about a million and a half, you don't need a lot of those companies for Circle Up to be massive very quickly. But, uh, and by the way, if you only look at companies between 1 million in revenue and 10 million in revenue, it's about 700,000 companies in the U.S. So the market is, is huge. Now the question is, how can we serve that market before moving to another industry or another geography? And one way is by providing other financial products beyond just straight equity. And so we're thinking through that now awesome. um, and saying, all right, we're getting companies that come to us and 
have financing needs in addition to the equity we're providing them. Um, and we're seeing if what the right way to provide uh, uh, those financing options could be. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, well, I think we're uh, I think we're out of time, but this has been a, a great interview. It's fun to learn more more about you and circle up. So definitely appreciate it, Ryan. Well, thank you very much for the time. I, I appreciate it as well. And thanks everyone for listening to another uh, episode of Flyer Labs, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.